none of this for us has been passive at all. It's more work than I've ever done in my life. And it's long hours each day to even just keep the business moving, just like, you know, on a day-to-day level to keep it moving and then also to grow it. Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 63 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Jeremy Roberts, co-founder of Trailbands, where they sell men's inspired clothing for women. And so he founded this with his uh, fiance Sadie, just a couple months ago, less than a year ago. So in this episode, we'll hear about Jeremy's experience of growing the business from scratch, how he reached out to the biggest bloggers in his niche and got mentioned on places like CNN, and the power of really being a part of your uh, target customer market. So in the sense uh, that his wife really liked the product, and was really passionate about uh, what they're making and selling. So before we get into this, a couple blog posts to check out. I only have one this week, but I would say it's a podcast episode on Think That Get with our good friends uh, Ezra Firestone and James Shremko. So they had an episode called Networking where they got James's mother to talk about her experience uh, working in the nonprofit world, raising money, building relationships, really doing kind of this JV stuff you see uh, online and just kind of making things happen. And certainly, you know, she's a bit older, has a lot of experience so i think there's a lot of old school business tactics that had me taking notes and then moving into some news and updates uh, i kind of need your guys help on this i'm looking to attend some e-commerce events in the u.s next year but i'm not really sure where to go and i've asked around some contacts and i just wanted to see if maybe you guys do anything uh, something dedicated to the solo e-commerce entrepreneur uh, anything kind of along that field because i think there's only so much you can do online and you know people are people uh, we thrive on the relationships that we build so if anyone has any recommendations that you think uh, are worth for me to check out, do shoot me an email, uh, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com. And so we also have a new iTunes review, a five-star review from Stoneleaf over in the US. He says, I really appreciate what you do. Your podcast has been helping me with my business in the biggest way. I've burned through so much content and I found you and your guests so refreshing and insightful. You're a great host and you're changing lives. Thanks again, man. Well, sweet. Always great to uh, get these kind of reviews. Always you know, it's fun. I use an app called Commoncast, and basically it scouts the iTunes platforms in the US, Canada, UK, London, all these places, and then it compiles all these reviews. And it's always exciting to see a, a new one pop up. So if you want to leave a review, go ahead on your iTunes panel. I'll definitely get it and read it out on the show. And with that being said, if you guys have any questions, comments, uh, feedback, and you want to get in contact, you can shoot me an email, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com. So let's just get into this week's episode. This week, we've got Jeremy Roberts from Travelands, where we're going to talk about his business and kind of how he got started. So, Jeremy, uh, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Jeremy Roberts. I have a company called Tradlands, which is a women's clothing business started by my fiance Sadie and I. And uh, we launched in February 2013. At Tradlands, we aim to make the best clothing for women, women who are drift towards the menswear department and think to themselves like, hey, why don't they make this style for me? So we're trying to make menswear inspired, inspired staples for her. I see. So you guys are about six months in now. So how did you guys get this idea starting out? 
Yeah, so starting out, we read 4-Hour Workweek a couple years ago, a few years ago. You know, you probably heard that story many times. So we read that and we realized that we were not living the lives that we had dreamed about and that we weren't really passionate about what we were up to. And so we started, you know, developing business ideas. Having never started a business before, we followed Tim's instructions pretty closely on how to you know, develop your ideas and look into your personal lives and start making lists of things you'd be interested in. And I think there's this one chapter where he talks about, I think, a guy that makes French shirts or T-shirts, right? Is that the kind of chapter you guys follow, like his method? Or? Yeah, ex- exactly, man. Like we were making lists and we were investigating a bunch of stuff. Like I was into photography and I was um, into Photoshop and all for a while. So we were looking into making camera bags. Um, we were looking into meditation supplements. And then finally, we had this really great, you know, that classic aha moment. So Sadie's really been into tomboy style, you know, clothing her whole life. I was like, whoa, what about like menswear inspired stuff, you know, for women, like tomboy style clothing? Like you're into it. And we know that there's, we assume that there's more women into it. So that's kind of how it started right there. Like we went from that like inspiration on a corner, like we were walking and we we're on a corner. I was like, aha, this is it. And then it just took off. Nice. And how many ideas did you have before you came up with this one? Because I'm sure you brainstormed, you know, this and that. Like, how many did you come up with before then? We investigated for a couple of weeks at least, you know, five to ten different ideas we really looked into. We had a list of, you know, a couple pages list of, you know, just different smaller things. But five to ten ideas, we started looking like per Tim's instructions. We were looking like how much it would cost to place, you know, full page ads in a camera magazine, you know, popular photography, stuff like that. And like, and so how did you, you know, you thought about this kind of aha moment. How did you decide like, hey, let's go with this? And what did what were the next steps you took after that? From the aha moment, it felt like things really clicked. Like Sadie has been interested in, let's say, tomboy style clothing. And she's also been interested in fashion. She was actually working for a different clothing label near San Francisco for a couple of years. So she was in, you know, manufacturing kind of uh, clothing cut and sew business. And so from there, we started researching online and we started going to our local library, started looking for books on clothing manufacturing, cut and sew. Um, We started researching local pattern makers. We started buying samples of shirts that we wanted to kind of base our shirts off of. And so did you guys have like, clothing design backgrounds or anything industrial type of skill set or? I do not. Um, I come from an art and photography background, so I don't have prior manufacturing experience. Sadie, like I said, was working for this clothing brand. And so she was working in the office. She was working with the overseas suppliers. Yeah. So that was, that's where we came from was that. And then we jumped into clothing manufacturing and we, we really just learned on the job every day. I see. So she kind of had an idea of how the whole supply chain works, how things get ordered and stuff like that, right? But but when it comes to the design, you guys had to figure that out yourself? Or how did you guys work through that process? Yeah, we had to figure it out ourselves. Like, we don't come from a, you know, educated um, clothing design background. So, like, I can't cut a pattern. I can't draw a pattern, but I can hire somebody. I can gather up, you know, 10 different shirts and be like, I really like this. Uh, you know, I like these buttons. I like this cut. I like this fabric, you know, all those different things. And I can go to my pattern maker. The pattern maker can take all those ideas and start putting it on paper. And then from the pattern, you know, we go into our samples and, you know, different iterations. I see. Yeah, one thing I realized, like, as a guy, is like, when you look at female clothes, like, they look really tiny, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of small, delicate things that go on, like a lot of small details that go into it, right? So I go to the women's, you know, section of, of stores now all the time. Like I go straight to the women's section. I'm looking at, you know, how things are sewn together, what cut they're using, you know, what thread, what size buttons. Like I'm super into 
women's shirting now, which is pretty funny for me. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, every time like I look at like leather wallets now, I'm always like stopping by, touching this leather, trying to figure out where the hide came from, what quality it is, and kind of where they made it. It's kind of funny when you start to get into the products business too. So, so like it's funny. Like I was just saying, like you know, like you look at women's clothes, like like a large and a medium, it kind of looks the same. <laughs> but yeah, I guess oh, yeah. I guess the design process is a lot different than men's clothes too, right? Yeah, we had to take into consideration you know women's shape things like things follow the waist give room in other areas you know things are a little bit shorter sometimes a lot of our focus here for the button downs is for great fit for women like you know if Sadie goes to a company and she's or she's wearing a brand and it fits her right she'll continue buying that brand for years we want to kind of recreate that you know and have be the same for our customers I see and has a problem for kind of I guess, is it right to say it like you guys catered to a tomboy demographic or? Yeah, in a sense we do. We're still trying to find where that customer base is, you know, where we can find them online. But in the beginning, and the way we market is not so much tomboy style, but we, we call it, you know, menswear inspired for women. But I think there's a much bigger market beyond, you know, say, quote unquote, tomboy style. But that's kind of the angle that we're working with right now, because actually it's pretty popular. And there's a lot of women that are looking towards the menswear side. And be like, hey, like I'd really love that, but if it was made for me. Historically, have they just bought in like small guys' clothes or like kids' clothes or like how did they do that? Yeah, I, uh, buying, you know, taking those men's smalls into the into the dressing room and you know trying to fit them on, you know, make them fit. Like Sadie would find that like they'd be too boxy in the shoulders, right? Or like they don't fit her form properly because they're made for men. So yeah, maybe they'd go to like the boys section a little bit or they try to take those smalls in. No, they take it to a tailor or like just throw it in the <laughs> machine trying to make it smaller, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, try to shrink it, shrink it. So why do they like wearing men's inspired clothes? I'm curious, like does it just feel better or like, yes. I mean, I've never worn women's clothes so I have no idea. Right? So. <laughs> yeah, so I think that women like menswear because menswear has this timelessness about it where something that might have been popular with Steve McQueen in the 60s is still actually relevant today. Menswear can go from decade to get decade and change just a little bit, but you can always go back to those classic staples like like a regular sweatshirt or just a regular button down or a nice pair of jeans. The menswear hasn't changed a whole lot, you know, throughout the past few decades when women's on the other hand, you know, it changes every season. Fall, winter, spring, summer, every season, there's a new style, there's a new trend. And I think women are wanting something that they know will last for a while, you know, will last for years and will not go out of season, you know, in a couple months. I guess this goes into my next question. So again, what are your main product lines uh, over at Tradlands? What we're focusing on right now, uh, what we've started with is button down shirts for women, um, the classic button down. And then we use um, every season, we're you know in our second season, we come up with new styles, different cuts, and we come up with new fabrics. Besides the button downs, we've also been experimenting with a, a Henley style long sleeve shirt. Um, so it just it's like a, a long sleeve shirt, but it has maybe three or four buttons down from the collar. It's like the Dexter shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, like the Dexter shirt. Because right? <laughs> I have one, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. I'm just missing the black gloves and the syringe <laughs> with uh, animal tranquilizer. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And then he wears that same green Dexter shirt. Yeah, like yeah, all the eights. olive. Yeah. And then um, we are also have some T-shirts, and then we've also designed some what we call shirt jackets which are, we've had really heavy raw denim. They're the same cut and the same style as the button downs, but they're much heavier so they can be worn, you know, as an over, kind of like an overcoat or as a, you know, another layer. These are very like niche 
I guess like they're like classic men's designs, but very niche use for women. So like, did you guys have like an MVP to test this out before you guys started making uh, these shirts or how did you guys test it out? We didn't actually test any physical products in the market. You know, I know that's a big lean startup, you know, idea of like testing viable products and, you know, getting some feedback, but we didn't do that. Um, what we did is we took an assumption that there's going to be other women like Sadie out there who are interested in the same the same style of clothing. Like we've been seeing this, like these keywords trending for a few years. And there's a really popular blog called Tomboy Style that we follow. And she has a huge following. And so we kind of took these basic assumptions and just rolled with it from there. It wasn't at least like a blind, let's just try this and make, you know, a couple hundred shirts. It was actually, there was some market you guys found, but it was kind of like more like an educated guess rather than like a lean startup, you know, <laughs> learned whatever they call it, right? Learned. Yeah experiments yeah. or something like, like i mean like i see the process of lean startup but i don't think it's like the holy grail to build a business i think like it's certainly like you guys are doing you know pretty well for being in business for six months yeah you, know, you guys didn't follow that way too right so. yeah you could call it a really you know a good educated guess since sadia had been working for this other clothing brand before we started our company we knew that women were still willing and able to purchase uh, higher price clothing despite the economic state as the economy tanked the company she worked for before was still doing exceptionally well. We figured we can get into the women's market because they're still they're still purchasing. They're still spending money. Yeah. And so since we're on that topic, you know, what are your kind of like your average prices for your products? Average price is 127 to you know 147, and then we have these higher denim shirt jackets for upwards to 187. These are very high price points for like a shirt, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, it does seem expensive. We stand behind our quality. When those shirts come from the manufacturer, they come to us. We're looking over everyone. You know, we're making sure that those those shirts will last for many seasons, hopefully years. And also, is that you know these are fit for a woman's body, right? They're not just like men's shirt, you know, shrink yeah. down into this size too. So, and so, um, you know, we were talking about a little bit about the MVP process, how you guys just went in with the educated guests. So, uh, how did you guys prototype these shirts? Like what were your, did you get like three samples made first or like one sample or how, how did that process work? Prototyping probably took eight months or so from when we started. It was, um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we'd buy shirts that we, we liked and that we wanted to base our models off of. And then we'd take them to sample makers. From the sample makers, we'd have different iterations. And then we'd end up with our final production quality shirt sample. And we spent about $1,500 on samples throughout that whole time. I see. So about eight months to find the shirts that you guys like and kind of get the fabrics that or learn about the fabrics they use and then find the manufacturer to uh, get the prototype. So how did you guys find someone to make the prototype? Because I know you guys are making it all in the U.S. Uh, in San Francisco. Right? Yeah. We were uh, researching online and we we're researching in the library. There's a really great book called The Apparel Source Handbook and it lists vendors all across the U.S. And so we, I was cold calling pattern makers and setting up appointments, you know, around San Francisco. And we'd go and meet with them and we'd walk in and be like, hey, this is what we have. Can you work with us? And it's, it's kind of funny, like, you know, not coming from a manufacturing or pattern making background, like we didn't know a whole lot. And we we're kind of getting taught what we needed to know, like at those meetings, you know, like they knew we were new and they knew we didn't know a whole lot and they were kind of, you know, they'd work with us and we've been really grateful to find some people to work with us and help us build up our designs and build up our, uh, our processes. Yeah. Cause like every industry has 
certain players within either like the sales force kind of production process and they have these terminologies and right? i'm sure as someone going in you're like like what's this like huh what, what is this like <laughs> like it's like something like just choosing buttons probably was a big process because i know there's like a dozen different types of buttons out there in the market there's different line qualities sewing qualities there's different seams we had to learn about different heights of the collar like that piece of fabric that the buttons sit down that run down the the center front of your shirt is called the placket you know we had to learn all that terminology I know there's different lengths you can put the buttons on too. Like, like I know there's some like some dress shirts I have that are like they're more V-neck type or like V's bigger and the buttons are lower. And I was like, oh, I never noticed this stuff. He's like, do you want to? I went to my tailor. He's like, do you want to try this out? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And then when you put it on, you're like, oh wow, it actually does look different compared to like what most people wear. And then I guess you know it's kind of interesting how once you get into this industry, you start seeing little details here and there, just like with uh, wallets too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I like to go home, you know. To my hometown and they're like what are you up to i'm like you know i'm into women's shirts i'm into women's clothing now and that's always good for a yeah, laugh all right so let's move on with the story a little bit so you guys got prototypes now uh you know how many shirts did you guys start out with for the first one or to put on the store we started with eight button downs and then we also um had two t-shirts printed up gotcha and so how did you guys what did you guys do after this sir so uh, you know we've, we've been on sale you know six months or so and then we're into our, what we call our um, volume two. We had volume one, now we're into volume two. Coming out here in early September, we're having 10 new styles of button downs and we're having the Henley that we're coming out with. Nice, nice. And so when you guys got the first eight shirts, did you? I assume you took all the photos yourself, right? Since you're a photography guy or? Yeah, I did all the photography on their website. You know, like the, where the, the flat photography against the white background, the model photography, and I shot the book. So that's been really that's been really fun, you know. Like that's what I've been able to bring to the business is my photography and Photoshop expertise. Like, is it pretty feasible to take product photos at home now, or like because I guess you know you buy some white paper and you just slap it on your wall and then <laughs> yeah, with shirting and clothing, you know, we'd have to lay it out. We'd actually put it on the ground and we'd shoot from above. And we I have professional light kit, so we use that. And then in, you know in Photoshop, you got to cut it all out. Um, but some folks like let's say you had your wallets, um, you wanted to shoot your wallets. People build these kind of cube or rectangle uh, light boxes, blow in light from all angles, and it you know, creates this really great overall effect for you know, smaller products. Yeah, and do you, are you using like a DSLR camera or just using like iPhone for this, or like what level of gear are you working with here? I have uh, mid-range Canons and mid, mid-range Nikon DSLRs. We have full lighting set up, you know, tripods. I set it up through Lightroom, you know, we, it's all tethered, you know professional kind of photography setup here at home. So if someone wants to do something like this at home, is like an iPhone 5 good enough for this or do you really need to go up and get like a hardcore camera? <laughs> yeah. <for this laughs> you know, I think an iPhone 5 is is really great and I think it probably could do the job. And I've actually heard people be like, you know, you can do it at home. You could shoot with your iPhone 5. But I'm such a, you know, photo tech nerd that like I'm super worried about, you know, exposure and speed of film, you know, all that stuff. So I would recommend DSLRs. Like, I guess like if you're doing like an outdoors thing maybe like an iphone could work right like you could probably pull it off if you like really push the limit but like for us like a strict white background high res thing you just probably should go with a professional or more than iphone quality yeah yeah <laughs> definitely go with the dslr for at home but you know you could take the iphone out on the road and they have those um that visco vsco company and they have great filters and people are producing amazing images with iphones and so let's move on a little bit more so uh, how did you guys get your first sale all right so our first sale was um, actually Sadie's brother 
put in a pre-sale order for his girlfriend like months before we had any products completed. So we're quite thankful for his continual support because he, he actually coded the website for us and has been a huge help. Shout out to Alex if you're listening. Our next sale was just the morning we launched and uh, the first orders came in and we had about eight to ten orders that first you know, day. And were they just like random organic searches or like how did they find you guys or did you guys like bother to Google them or see who they were? We had a couple blog features on that first day that I had set up. And so a couple came through some women's blogs and of course my mom bought, you know, bought a shirt or two. So that was a sale. And <laughs> <laughs> I think my mom owns every shirt in our collection now. So. Nice, nice. That's cool. Well, family always a good support. Good to have them as a support. And so I know you guys also do limited runs, like kind of like a season one, season two. So why did you guys decide to go down that route? So we started um, thinking about limited runs. We were able to mass produce, you know, we were able to make 10,000. So we're making, you know, very limited runs. And what that allows us to do is turn over products, you know, pretty quickly and also get great feedback in the process. Just in our first collection, we had some styles that we thought were going to do really great and they didn't do well. And then there's some other ones that were really big surprises and, you know, women really gravitated towards that. So when we, you know, we have a limited edition there. Um, we can take what works and, you know, continue on that and then drop some old stuff. That's really smart. Instead of saying, hey, it's here forever, you kind of get a sense of urgency to where, hey, this is season one, when you guys can actually see what works, what doesn't, and then kind of scale it from there, too. Yeah. And we've been working with this idea of legacy products, you know, like things that did well. And if women are wanting to continue to buy it, we're going to still con- we're going to still produce you know, those styles too, because hey, it sells and they really like it. Yeah. So how do you guys brand it when you say it's like a limited run? Like what terminologies do you guys use to communicate this? One of the ones we've been using is small batch production. Uh, We see some other folks using similar terminology too. So I think that's been working well for us. Yeah. And I see you guys call it volume one, volume two, kind of it's like a series. Yeah. Volume one and volume two was like, it was a naming convention we started out with. Um, We wanted to make each line stand out from the prior one. And we wanted to give it uniqueness to our customers. And it especially works with bloggers who are writing about us. There's something that they like about, you know, calling it volume one instead of fall, winter, you know, 2013, volume two, you know, works out well. I see. Because it gives them another reason to write about you guys when volume two comes out also. And so you guys get refresher products too that, you know, it's kind of new content for them also, I guess. Right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we definitely thought about that. Women's clothing is marketed as, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter. And it creates this situation where women are buying clothes to be worn for a few months and then they either stop wearing it because the weather changes or it goes, quote unquote, out of season or out of style. And so they feel this pressure to be constantly buying new clothing basing on, based on what's trending or not. And we wanted to create you know, these timeless staples that women could wear beyond you know, the fall season and beyond the next season. I see. Yeah. So the volume, I guess branding as volume gives it a more evergreen kind of status. Yeah. Evergreen's the word. Yeah. Exactly. I like it because then you can also test different new products each kind of volume and then see what works, see what doesn't, and then move them into a new collection, like you said, like a legacy, where you kind of have, which I guess you could also call them bestsellers too, right? I mean, kind of just like another phrase for them. Yeah, it's a great branding angle that you guys are taking with this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We go out there on Facebook or Instagram and, you know, post pictures like, hey, what would you guys like to see? This fabric, that fabric, we'll line up 10 fabrics. And we've actually used that, um, those suggestions from our fans to help you know some of these uh, new styles in volume two so we're excited to get those products out that people have been asking you know and, and voting for so you guys are going to suppliers taking pictures of fabrics you're just asking people hey which one do you like and then you get the feedback without actually guessing what people would like right? which is also super smart yeah you know volume one was a bit of a guess we based it on what we were interested in what we thought would sell 
and volume two has become a bit more about you know what sold well and what didn't sell and what fans are asking about as far as uh getting fabrics we you know i'll spend a couple of days cold calling or you know calling vendors and you just order hundreds of samples you know you'll get samples coming in the mail and that's how we start picking our fabrics yeah and do they give you these samples for free or how does that work in the u.s most 75 to 80 percent of the samples are free but sometimes you have to pay like a few dollars a yard. It just depends. But most of the time it is free because people want your business. So they'll send you out the samples. You just can't be ordering like, you, know, you really can't order hundreds of samples from one company. They're like, oh, no, I don't think so. Are they just giving you like a little, like, you know, two inch f- square fabric or like, where are, they, where are these samples? Yeah, they're calm swatches. So they're just like two inches by two inch cuts. And, you know, you'll get a package of them and start filtering them out from there. Gotcha. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So let's move into uh, marketing a little bit. So I understand marketing, you guys do a lot of blogger outreach. Is that kind of your main form of marketing that's working well for you guys now? Or Yeah, blogger outreach has been uh, really great for us. We've been really lucky to have the biggest blog that we got on this. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Tomboy Style, which is one of the biggest ones in our niche. She actually reached out to us and, you know, it was like, hey, I'd really love to feature you. And then that equaled a lot of sales. We got on her radar because I was um, on her blog commenting. Sadie and I were on her blog commenting for a couple months, you know, and really trying to add value and add thoughtful comments. And so she mentioned, she was like, hey, like I saw you on the blog and like, I love what you guys are up to. So, you know, can I feature you? Nice. So did you guys have like a list of like, say, you know, 200 blogs to do outreach with? Or was it just kind of like an organic because it was Sadie's? Uh, kind of passion too that you guys just grew from there yeah we started building a list you know we have 100 150 on that list right now and we're about today or tomorrow we're going to reach out to that list again you know for this volume two i started doing that a few months ago or you know volume one around that time based on some episodes i'd heard with justin and joe from the empire flippers those guys were talking about how they go and blog comment and they get real nerdy about it and they you know have spreadsheets of like who they you know who they contacted who they talked to what blogs they were on and i followed that and you know that that actually led to one of our biggest successes. So let's go through a little bit about that process again. So what was this kind of step-by-step process for that, uh, what, what they were talking about? They would create a list of bloggers they wanted to reach out to, and then they'd split up the responsibilities or maybe a VA or whoever would go and comment on each blog, and then they'd have a spreadsheet. Um, and then you'd be like, okay, so you know, this week we you know we're going to comment on this blog, and this week, and then check back with those. And I always check back to see if the if anybody has responded to my comments, or even if the the author of that blog responds. You know, that's really that's really great. And then so after they respond, uh, do you do any outreach after that, saying, hey, you know, I run Tradlands now, or like how does that work after that? If it's someone who we're targeting, I try to build that relationship either through blogging or Twitter. I found that at you know at so and so. Uh, on Twitter gets people's attention and you can start building relationships from there too because you can actually talk to somebody pretty directly. And email works too. But I found that Twitter, like people really respond to like, you know, at, you know, at Terry Lynn, hey man, how's it going? And you'll just respond. Yeah, because I noticed one thing, Twitter is very flat compared to say, Facebook, like, I mean, you, there's no way you could go to Mark Cuban and add his personal Facebook. Right? He just wouldn't care about it. You can go to Twitter, just at him like, hey, you know, I love the Mavericks and he'll just retweet stuff. and. You know, like some of them even have like Q and A's, right? Like like weekly Q and A's on Twitter, and kind of interesting how the platform is a little bit different than most uh, other social media things out there. I was just looking at your looking at your press page. You guys have like thirty or so guest blog reviews, I guess. Like, how many of these were actually them reaching out to you, and how many did you guys kind of had to proactively reach out to them? Yeah, I would say twenty percent they came to us. You know, the other eighty percent we were reaching out to people and sending out that. Um, you know, we, we I wrote. 
a press release and we'd send out our lookbook and we'd send out our line sheets. Um, so, you know, people responded. So that 80% definitely responded, you know, responded to us and, you know, featured us. And sometimes we'd send them shirt samples and the, you know, the, the, the bloggers, they wear them and they take photos and then, you know, it gives them content to write about. Is it pretty standard to give them samples of your product for them to review or like, how does that work uh, when you do the outreach or you do the, you know, like, how do we get featured? It just depends, you know, a really big blogger that we really want to get um, on their blog. We'll, we'll just volunteer like, hey, we'd love to send you samples. No charge, any shipping or anything. We send them nice little cute little packages with chocolates, you know, San Francisco based stuff and really, you know, try to make a connection there. I see. And so how many samples have you guys sent out to like the actual bloggers? Are these like, like 10 shirts, 20 shirts or like what are we looking at here? 10, 15 times we've sent out samples but actually we most of those get returned to us oh really so they actually don't keep the product or no you know we, like a lot of times we send them out and like we put a return return shipping address and they they return them and that's kind of like the way it goes like they just get quick samples um to so they can have content on their blogs but, but sometimes we actually do give gifts our favorite bloggers we give gifts all the time and that's a, it, it's kind of an incentive we want to give you this gift you know would you mind featuring us and then you know, they write about it and it's been worked really well for us. Yeah, because you know, they have some conflict of interest at a base level if they actually keep it, right, I guess. Or they have to, like, they should disclose it. But I, I never knew that was, like, standard where they actually return. I thought, like, you give a blogger a sample and then they just kind of keep it. But <laughs> It goes both ways, really. Yeah, I, I guess it depends how big the blogger is and how the relationship is, too, right? Because, like, you know, if I had something, you know, for, like, a good friend, I would just send it to him and be like, hey, you know, just keep it, right? So Yeah, definitely. And then we try to build friendships through, you know, with bloggers, through gifts and, you know, keeping in context. Twitter, like I said, we use Twitter a lot. Just be like, hey, how's it going? Oh, we love what you're up to. All that stuff works really well. And are you seeing where, you know, once you're featured on one blog, you know, like a peer sees him and they want to get you on their blog too? Or how does that, like, kind of network grow from there? That definitely happens a lot. Um, bloggers, the female bloggers, the fashion bloggers, they... If they're based in a similar city or they, they seem to know each other well and so they're always talking to each other so we'll get featured on one site and they're like oh I saw you were featured on so-and-so site that's really awesome I'd like to you know I'd like to feature you too yeah and it gives them content to have to because I'm looking at your press page you're literally getting like a new feature every week almost right it seems or every other week it seems so yeah definitely in the beginning we had a lot of press and that's when we sent out a lot of our emails was in the beginning so we had a lot of press show up uh, there in the beginning and then that other 20% that um, reached out to us, we got mentioned on places like CNN and the Fiscal Times. And, you know, I'm actually not quite sure why they came to us, but they, you know, we get, we'd get emails like, hey, I'm writing this article and uh, would you mind answering some questions? And you know, so we got featured on CNN and that was really big. That was awesome. Nice. It's a huge, nice uh, backlink there for your SEO juice. <laughs> yeah. So how many emails did you guys send out to these bloggers? Like you guys sent out like 100 emails. Like what was your response rate uh, in general? We probably sent out 100, 150 emails and probably talked to and received messages back from 30. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at maybe like a 30%, 20% response rate or so. And then... Yeah. I see. And then after yeah. that, and then after that, you know, did you guys just say, hey, you know, we're Trilands, we're trying to start a store, you know, would you like to feature us? Or what did the email look like? It it's always comes from Sadie. Um, so Sadie, we have a woman writing a woman, like Sadie's the woman with the woman's clothing company, and she's writing the female blogger. So it's from Sadie, and we're like, hey, you know, we're big fans of your blog. Um, we always try to put in something personal, like I love that post that you did about such and such, or, you know, I love what you're up to here. Try to get specific, right? Because we don't send out mass emails like, 
hello all right dear dear friend right? <laughs> yeah, dear dear, friend. dear reader <laughs> yeah yeah so we try to make it personal and then it's a couple quick lines about this is who we are this is what we're up to we have those main selling points like we're making menswear inspired uh, clothing for women then we say like we'd love to be featured on your blog we'd be willing to send you samples you know um and that's kind of it so this is where like the like, pre-commenting on their blog comes in, right? Because if you've commented on their blog, had some back and forth, by the time you email them, they're familiar with you to some extent also. Yeah, yep, that's definitely that's definitely the process right there. Nice. And then it kind of comes up to the event where then you do the ask for the feature. Awesome, awesome. So that makes sense. So so this, the process is say, uh, you know, one, uh, identify the key blogs in your industry or kind of the where your target market would be. And then two, kind of track your commenting, you know, start commenting, seeing who responds, see if you can build a relationship there. And then three, uh, then you do the outreach when you're ready to get featured, right? Is that kind of a correct way to summarize everything here? Yep, definitely. For Twitter, we used, you know, different automation things, um, not automatic messages, but searching using those different apps that search, you know, for uh, movers and shakers in your industry. And then we comment and then we follow up and then we email and then we actually follow up with email. It's just like, hey, quick check in, see if you got my email. Hmm. So what's this Twitter tool? Is it like a hashtag search tool or like how does it work? Oh, I use a few of them. Um, let's see, I've used social oomph. Um, I've used tweet adder. You know, there's just a few different ones where you're searching. You could look into a competitor's followers. You could look into a blogger's followers, who they follow. And then I start paying attention to you know, who they're talking to. I see. So you basically get like a blog list with the kind of publisher's Twitter handle and then you run it through this software that tells you who you should follow or who they're talking to, right? Kind of. Yep. You can search categories. You can search keywords, stuff like that. And it's called Tweet Adder and Social Oomph? Yeah, Social Oomph. Yeah. What's one thing you guys did that made a big impact on conversion or sales? You know, we kind of covered it before, but it's been the blog features. That's been really great for us. Sounds kind of strange, but sometimes it seems like the products have been really selling themselves. Sometimes we kind of pinch ourselves because of how great the reception has been. We think that the quality and craftsmanship is really there. And I think that it resonates with people who have purchased and we've gotten great feedback. And then, you know, I think the story really resonates. So that sells well. And so let's go over into your platform a little bit. So I know you guys are on Shopify, but I noticed your blog is on a Tumblr. So kind of why is that? Because I know Shopify has a blog too. Was it like not something you guys needed or wasn't as functional? Or um, So we started with Tumblr first because we didn't have our Shop- Shopify site developed yet. Um, so we started blogging, you know, months before the Shop- Shopify site was up. So we needed a platform to go on. We had been debating back and forth between Tumblr and WordPress for quite some time. And I was really interested in WordPress due to the suggestions of literally everybody in the internet marketing world, <laughs> right? Everybody talks about WordPress. People build their e-commerce stores on WordPress. So I was looking to go there, but uh, we had some suggestions from Sadie's brother, who's been on Tumblr for ages. The thing with Tumblr, it has a big community and a big network already involved. So they have the the favoriting and the reblogging thing that happens there. So we were thinking about how fast our message could spread. Like if you get a really great aspirational image or some you know some great photography or a really great quote, you know that message could spread to fifteen thousand people, and you can see the line. You know, of people that have liked it and reblogged it. Yeah, because I know, like WordPress is like you're building, you're like you're writing a message, you're putting it in a bottle, and you're throwing it out in the ocean. Whereas people have to share that way. Whereas Tumblr is just like a one button, yeah, thing too. Right? And I think as an add on to like an e-commerce store, it's a very kind of simple blogging platform. It's like very straightforward, streamlined. Not like a WordPress where you have all these plugins and themes. And- yeah, yep, that's definitely what we looked at. Um, in the beginning, I didn't want to mess with any um, 
buying server space, you know, and uploading any files. Like I knew how to do it, but I just didn't want to mess with it. And um, Tumblr is pretty easy. It has a really simple dashboard on the back end, and you do text posts, you do picture posts, quote posts, videos. You know, it's, it's super simple. And then you can see, like I said, you know, people liking and reblogging, and how that message just starts going and going in the network. Yeah, and I noticed you guys can keep the look very consistent across the Tumblr and the Shopify store because right? it's just like your green foresty color on a white background. Kind yeah, of, right? yeah. So I sort of designed that Tumblr blog, and it doesn't exactly match our Shopify site. And I would like to marry that, you know and make that um, pretty seamless pretty soon, but just hasn't been done yet. But it, it has been pretty easy, you know, just mess with code a little bit, add new background colors, you know, add your um, email sign up, add your logo. That's pretty simple. Yeah, but I would say compared to say if you had this in a WordPress, it, it's a lot m easier too than to go that route to, to customize it for the same look. One thing about Tumblr, it's very aspirational with, you know, your picture posts and your, your the great images resonate really well with the crowd there. But I'm not quite sure if Tumblr um, is great for long-form content like WordPress is. I know that a lot of internet marketers are using long-form content and you know really trying to sell their self or sell their products with you know longer blog posts, and that actually hasn't resonated well with Tumblr users. Um, or they don't reblog you know my uh, my long articles. So we're trying to find a balance there between you know things that resonate well and then trying to you know inform and sell with you know with my words yeah like i get the feeling tumblr i, I don't use it that much but it, it's like a mix of instagram with twitter together like you have some text and then a picture and then that's usually it right <laughs> yeah there's a lot of pictures <laughs> there's a lot of those crazy awesome gifts you know you can find full tumblr pages of gifts um a lot of great quotes so you have these like memes too or the internet like the joke ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are super popular. You can find some really funny stuff. Yeah, there. I think there's like a Ryan Gosling one that's hilarious, like a hey girl, and he's doing all this stuff, and it's like a Tumblr, and it just gets like reblogged like a couple thousand hundred times too. Yesterday so. we were looking at Kanye West mixed with um, Wes Anderson films, <laughs> right? So the Royal Tenenbaums type films mixed with. Uh, Kanye West uh, lyrics. Very cool. So let's just wrap things up a little bit. So, you know, you guys had volume one uh, and, you know, you guys had a great uh, season going with that. So, you know, what's your biggest challenge now going into volume two and onwards with the business? There seems to be a lot, right? Being new in business, um, being new in cut and sew manufacturing, there's a lot of stuff that comes up. Um, some of the bigger ones are getting ahead on our production schedule, also managing our cash flow to be able to afford those new production runs and be able to afford us to live off this business. Well, let's go into that a little bit. So how long does it take to make your shirts? Pattern makers, you know, getting the samples made, um, you know, getting your fabrics in, that could take a month or two. And then for the full production run, or it's taken our sewing team that we hire eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at like a two month window, two and a half months or so? It could be four. Yeah. So, uh, so you guys have to lay this cash out real early then. Yeah, you know, before you guys get the sale. Huh? Yeah, there's a lot of um, upfront investment in this in this cut and sew business. You know, we have to you know buy the fabrics and all the trims, and then you know all that all that stuff we've talked about goes into getting the product together, and that could be you know it's a lot of money to as an upfront investment. But then when we're because we're creating our own products, we get you know, a big return on that when we sell at retail. Yeah. I mean, have you guys thought about going Kickstarter? Because you guys have all these blogger relationships too. I mean, certainly, you know, when you do like a volume three, you could do a Kickstarter and just get them to all promote it at once, right? I mean, yeah, we did think about that. You know, that'd be a great way to, you know, um, get some funding. But we haven't just quite uh, gone that route yet. I know Jimmy Hayes and Manal are doing that, you know, really soon. And I, I hope they're really successful because I'd like to see how um, they strategize that. Yeah, because I've seen there's this other 
brand i think ball and buck they make like leather wallets they also make like a shirt last year and they got that off kickstarter too but because like what they did is they were on like men's health like gq esquire and which is kind of you know what you guys are doing too you guys have all these blogger relationships i think certainly that's a path you guys can consider yeah there's also too so there's a really great uh menswear brand established menswear brand here in san francisco called taylor stitch and now they've been around for um let's say six years or so and they have a big community and they do really well now they just launched a kickstarter for a new uh workout apparel company um they launched it less than a week ago and they had a goal of ten thousand dollars and on their first in their first five days they're up to eighty thousand you know so (laughs) i think that what worked well for them is that they were so well known and so well respected and then they developed this kickstarter to launch this new you know side project and people just like you know bought in people are super excited about them it sounds good it's like what seth godin says it's like how kickstarter you should actually build the relationships and the process beforehand whereas you know the kickstarter is just an event you don't just launch it and then go like hey you know buy into my project and you know hey blogger here blogger there you know you want to check out my kickstarter like you need to do it all beforehand which is kind of what i've seen all the successful ones that seem to work really well too there's another big successful one called the 10-year hoodie that just did huge they did i'm looking at it right now they did um a million dollars they did a million dollars in uh, in Kickstarter. And I think that there's a really great formula formula that happens on Kickstarter now, and it includes great video and great pictures and great copy. I think their first project, they funded men's underwear. They were huge. I think it did amazing. And now they did the 10-year hoodie. They will back up the hoodie for 10 years, and they will help repair and sew it for 10 years. Yeah, and they raised a million dollars, and they're going to kill it. Yeah, like the video qualities on some projects are really insane. Like It's almost like it's like an infomercial like a bunch of infomercials on Kickstarter now, so then you just pre-order stuff. And yeah, dude, it, it definitely is full production quality to get those Kickstarters launched. I think that there's strategies um, that people are really latching onto and seeing who was successful and they're repeating them. Yeah, because you look at like, it's been around for like, what, six, seven, eight years. People have figured out what works, what doesn't. I mean, you look at the past 500 projects that have done over, say, you know, 100K, and you can certainly find things that worked here and there that you can then test out as like a general... Uh, strategy, I guess, but I mean that's for like another episode. I've got to get someone on there to do that too. So, anyways, um, so kind of uh, just to wrap things up, two more questions. Like, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew uh, starting up? Uh, what we've come to figure out is that none of this comes easy, man, and it takes work and more work to be, you know, somewhat successful or you know, successful in any way. Uh, when we were reading the Four Hour Work Week, you know, you have all this ins- crazy inspiration and motivation, and you think all you have to do is. You know, brainstorm a muse, test it on AdWords, create a product, it starts selling well like the French shirts, you hire a VA and off traveling the world you go. But um, And I know there's been like these really great conversations on Empire Flippers lately about is the 4-Hour Workweek muse creation thing still relevant in today's landscape? None of this for us has been passive at all. It's more work than I've ever done in my life. And it's long hours each day to even just keep the business moving, just like, you know, on a day-to-day level to keep it moving and then also to grow it. Yeah, because if you don't push the wheel, it stops, basically, right? (laughs) Yeah, like we've, you know, at some point we run out of products to sell from our volume one, so we got to keep it going, you know, like we need more products to sell. Like it isn't a digital product. It's not infinity. Like we have a limited amount of products we can sell. And when those are gone, we got to get more going. Yeah, and I think that's one thing. Tim Ferriss missed that too. It's like he missed out the part where he built that business into say, I think like 40K a month or 80K a month that he couldn't 
do anything before you start outsourcing. Whereas I think when you read it as an outsider, you come off where it's like, oh, he just suddenly outsourced it. And then he had this idea and then boom, he's like in Argentina dancing and in China wrestling. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It kind of glazes over it a little bit. Maybe that was intentional and maybe not. Who knows? Um, but we're hustling hard through these first thousand days and trying to build this thing that we are excited about and we really hope to be part of for many years. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, Dan. So uh, listeners, you guys can find out more about uh, Jeremy and the business at tradlands.com. And uh, Jeremy, just to give you a plug, where can people find you and get in touch? You know, everything's at Tradlands. So the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all at Tradlands. We run all of our messages and communication through those venues. And uh, Terry, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your show, man. Um, I've been listening for a long time and I've been there commenting on your blog. So it's really exciting for me to be here and invited in. And uh, I feel like uh, part of the people I've been learning from and admiring for the past few years has been you. So big thank you, Terry, for that. And uh, I'm really grateful. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can get to uh, meet Monday too. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.